Well, I was raised in a small town. Cue the music. And it was a good childhood. Summers were spent biking around town with the, with the guys, getting into trouble. Small T, not capital T trouble. Nothing the police could catch us for. Uh, we, had a, we had a great time. A lot of basketball, a lot of biking. But one of the things I've always felt like that I missed out on growing up, that I should have had, it's something that gets asked sometimes, like when you're in college or when you're in a, a group of people meeting new people, Sometimes you get asked this, and I can never, ever say yes. Here's the question. Did you have a nickname growing up? And I didn't. And I think it's because my name is Niall. I I think that's part of it. It's like, you already got this weird name, and that's good enough for you. Let me tell you the closest thing to a nickname I've ever had. It was sixth grade. We were in Pontiac, Illinois. See, I remember this like it was yesterday. Pontiac, Illinois playing in a basketball tournament. I think it was a two-day tournament. And on the second day, I don't remember how we did in the tournament, but I do remember at the end of the tournament, they were calling the all-tournament team, the best players. And I'm not bragging, but I was in the all-tournament team. Just just putting it out there. Braden, Derek, I'm just putting it out there. No pressure. And in that moment, when they, you know, they don't know who you're going to call. You know, they, they don't know what's going to happen. You're just kind of standing there waiting to see who gets called out onto the middle of the floor to receive whatever the medal was. And, and, uh, and here it comes. Nail Philia. Yes. And, and the guy next to me, one of my, one of my teammates, uh, he, he, I always had a hard time with him. And he's like, Neophilia, you know, and he's laughing. And I should have been like, they didn't call your name, you know, but I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. But, uh, but if he's listening today, they didn't call your name. And, uh, and for the rest of my, at least my junior high years, that, young, that guy called me Nail with a, with a smirk on his face. Fine, fine. So, I, so, so when you have a weird name, you don't get a nickname, you get mispronunciation. That's what you get. I'm sorry. That's the way it goes. Um, how many of you had a nickname growing up? Just, just curious. You had a See? See? Now, the rest of you can relate to me, can't you? You've always wished you had one. So we're going to have a little support group afterwards, and we're going to give each other names. <laughs> and uh, it'll be good. James, of all guys... The, 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 the James in the Bible, he had two nicknames. He gets two, for goodness sake. One of them is James the Just. Maybe you've heard that one, James the Just. Brother of Jesus, James the Just. Um, but the second one, oh, that's the one I want to talk about today. It is said that people called James the brother of Jesus the man with camel knees. The man with camel knees. Now, do you know why they called him that? Because he spent so much time in prayer. You see? You see? Prayer not only changed him spiritually, so they could call him the just, but prayer changed him physically. You know? I, I don't want my spiritual practices to make me look worse. Maybe you don't want that either. But they called him the man with camel knees. And, and when you look at the book of James, uh, James is, is one of the loved books, one of the well-loved books in the New Testament, I think because it's so practical, right? Consider it pure joy when you face 
trials of many kinds. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and pray without doubting, because if you doubt, you don't receive anything from God. You must tame the tongue. You know, there's all these amazing verses in James, but you get to the end, and maybe it's because it's the end. James returns to one of his well-loved themes of his life. Prayer. Prayer in the church. So James is writing to Jewish Christians that are scattered throughout Palestine, the dispersion, and he's writing on one of his favorite topics, I imagine. Would you turn to James chapter 5? James chapter 5. For those of you just joining us this summer, we've been in this series called Beyond Fortune Cookie Faith. And the idea is we want to look at singular verses that are sometimes misinterpreted, misunderstood, or maybe they're just such amazing verses we need to get the full context to enjoy their beauty, right? And so uh, this is one that's a little more controversial maybe, uh, depending on who you hear it from and what they say about it. But we're doing the verse today that talks about the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. We're going to tackle that. I'm going to try to be kind to those that assure that everybody's going to be healed in this life. But I do want to point out some of the issues there. But, but uh, check out verse 13 to get the whole context. We're on the tail end of the book of James. And we've got James saying, I just want the church to pray. I want the church to pray. Okay, here we go. Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any one of you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. All right. James starts this whole thing with, with, with what I would like to call a seasonal troubleshooter. You, you, have, you, ever, done a, you ever done troubleshooting, you know? Like, like, like I have a problem with my internet router at home, and it's like something's not working. And so I get online, and I'm like, how do I fix this problem? I have no internet from this stupid thing. And, and, and I'm looking, and you open what's called the troubleshooter. Maybe you've had a computer for a while. You probably had a virus or a program that didn't load correctly. And you're like, what am I going to do? Everything's frozen. I need the troubleshooter. And the troubleshooter just says, you know, if this is the problem, maybe try this answer or this answer or this answer or this answer all the way down. You find your problem, and you find the answer, or one of the many, and you try the one until it works right. I noticed troubleshooters always start with the easiest answer first. Have you noticed this? You open up the troubleshooter, and it always says, is your device plugged in? Is the power on? Well, no, what idiot would not turn the power? Oh, turn the power on, and it goes, you know, um, the troubleshooters always start with the easiest thing first. It always goes that way. And I think for James, 
he, he's opening up a, if we could use our 21st century understanding, you know, he's opening a, a, a seasonal troubleshooter, okay? What season of life are you in? And let's open up the troubleshooter. What should I do depending on what's going on in my life? And so the first thing he says is, is anybody suffering? This is verse 13. Anybody suffering? Let him pray. Now, what kind of suffering does James have in mind? Uh, on the one hand, I think he could be talking about persecution. But on the other hand, James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Many kinds. Literally, the Greek word refers to like multicolored. You know, it's like all the different shades of trial you can think of. Are you suffering? Is there difficulty in your life? You ought to pray. There's the reminder. That's the troubleshooter. That's the first thing you ought to do. Take it to God in prayer. Cast your cares on him. But then he goes on and he says, is anybody cheerful? Is anybody cheerful? What does that mean? And then he says, well, well, let him sing songs of praise. You've got to sing. If you're happy, you better be singing. Now, on the one hand, I think James could be saying, if life is really good right now, and you wake up with a smile on your face, and you go to bed happy, because life is just sweet right now, don't forget God, and don't forget to praise Him. Because I think some of you would agree with me, when life is good, sometimes you get forgetful about why life is good, from whom all blessings flow. You just forget that. Because life is good, I'm just focused on me. Don't forget, sing songs of praise if you're cheerful. But I think I can go beyond that, right? Because this is the same James that wrote, consider it pure joy, not pure misery. Consider it pure misery when you face trials of many kinds. That's normal, right? That's what we all do. But consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So, So don't just limit cheerfulness to when life is good. It means you can come in here and you can sing songs of praise and be cheerful even when life is horrible, especially when life is horrible, because you and I all know people. We all know people that are sick. And when you go to them, they say things like, praise the Lord. He's sustaining me and he's so good. And you're like, if I was in the sick bed with you, I would not be feeling like that. But that's what they say because it's true, because you can be cheerful even when life is falling apart. So he says, when you're cheerful, praise, and not just when life is good. I love that he says this, cheerfulness is of the heart, not of the circumstance of your life. That's a good word. Are you cheerful? Sing songs of praise. Um, If you want a biblical example of this, of course you might think of Paul after he's beaten in prison singing hymns with a sore, bloody back. Praising God into the night. There's our example. Are you cheerful? And then he says, um, is anybody sick? Is anybody sick? Let them call the elders of the church. Let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. So, So can we just say it like this? Prayer and praise, number one, are priorities because every season requires them. Every season of your life requires prayer and praise. The question is, are you going to do it? But that's the priority. We we can't let it fall. We can't let it say, well, life stinks, so I can't sing to God right now. No, you must. These are the priorities of the Christian life for every 
season. Open up the troubleshooter. What's going on right now? And respond. Every season requires my communication with the Lord and our communication. Now, um, after that, he opens it up to talk about the elders. So, in the first part of this passage, James has in mind, you are praying for you. You pray for you. But now he's saying, under some circumstances, you ought to call the elders to come to you if you're sick. Now, please, if, you, if you're coughing or sneezing, don't call me up. I don't want to come to you for that. No. But if you're seriously sick, and I think that's what James has in mind here. By the way, what, what does the word sick mean? Um, it means, literally it means weak. And sometimes the weakness is of the body, and sometimes the weakness is of the spirit. And you will find both uses in the New Testament. Weakness of the body, weakness of the spirit. I think in this context, in James, he probably has in mind sickness. And I'll tell you why. Because if I want the elders to pray for me, I can go to any assembled meeting of the church and say, could you pray for me today? And the elders would pray for me. But if I'm sick and I'm in bed and I'm bedridden, not the cough or the cold, I'm in bed and I am doing lousy, something serious is going on, I call the elders because then they come to me. It's the person in the hospital that can't get out because they're not supposed to be released yet. They're calling, come to me. And I think that's the idea. Call the elders, let them come to you because you can't go to them. You can't get to church, so you call the church to you. Does that make sense? Um, call the elders. Tell them to bring oil. They'll anoint you with it. Some people say, well, what does the oil mean? Uh, two ideas behind the oil. Uh, in the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan poured oil on the wounds as a healing agent. So it could be healing. On the other hand, in the Old Testament, they anointed like th- everything, the tabernacle, the priesthood. Everybody got anointed with oil, which was a sign of the Lord, sign of the Holy Spirit and his presence. So, so you're either saying it's an anointing for medicinal purposes or it's an anointing that's symbolic for God's presence. I happen to lean a little heavier on God's presence because it's anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. So, so it seems like there's something ceremonial going on there. That, that, that's how I read it, just in context. But I think I, I know really smart guys that say, yeah, I think there's a medicine thing going on here. I think that could be very much what's going on as well. But however you're supposed to bring the oil... You call the elders, they bring it, and they pray over you. And then it says this. Uh, If we can move beyond the elders just for a moment here. Um, Where are we at? Let's see. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And what, what James does here is he goes from elders to the church. Did you notice that? Call the elders to come to you. Why the elders? Well, because they are leaders in the church. They are shepherds, and, and, and one of their duties ought to be to come to you if you're, if you're sick. Anoint you with oil as a sign of the Lord, and pray over you. This prayer of faith, which I'll get to in a minute. So call the elders. They're, they're the leaders. Do that. But, James says, and I think this is his main point, therefore. I, th- I think this is where, it all, whenever you see a therefore, you ought to pay attention to it. What's it there for, you know? Um, therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James broadens it. So first it was, you pray for you. And then it was, you call the elders and they should pray for you. And then it's, 
The whole church, let's pray for each other. Everybody ought to be doing this. Just like the kids heard this morning. It's, it's all of us in this. So let's say it like this. Number two. Uh, prayer in the church is supposed to be pastoral. Because the church, including the elders, is interceding for one another. Right? The whole church, including the elders, at certain times when they would come to you and make a special trip. But everybody's supposed to be praying for everybody. And that's a good point because I'm not going to be able to make it to every hospital visit. I can't see everybody. And I hope none of you think that because the pastor doesn't visit that you haven't had pastoral support. If you've got people praying for you, if you've got other believers in your life that are ministering to you, you have pastoral support. You have people ministering to you. That this is why we think so highly of small groups, our community groups. Because when you're in a community group, you can be known to other people. And, and your struggles that may not be known to me because I'm one guy, can be known to the whole group. And, and they can pray for you. And they can lift you up. And they can call you on a Monday and say, how was the weekend? How'd that go with that thing? I don't know what that thing is, but your group knows what that thing is. And and I'm not saying we're supposed to call each other pastor this and pastor that. I'm just saying it's pastoral work, it's shepherding work, it's ministry work, and it's what we're called to do to one another. And so I love it. One of my favorite things to see on Sunday morning, besides all of us worshiping, I love it when I see little impromptu prayer huddles after church. Because I know, I know what that means is somebody shared something, and it was serious enough, and, and somebody said, you know what? We're to pray for that right now. And you can tell them you pray for them later. That, that's fine. You could do that too. But, but right now is a good time. Now's the time. You won't forget later. Pray now. So, so prayer is pastoral because all of us are involved in praying for one another. And that's the way the church is supposed to look. It's not supposed to be one guy at your bedside. It's supposed to be anybody at your bedside. Anybody is there. And that's the church at its best right there. Prayer is pastoral. Uh, moving on, let's talk about this. So, so when you call the elders, it says they're going to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And they're going to pray over. S- some scholars note that when it says pray over, that the picture is someone's on their bed and the elders are standing above you and they're praying. They're praying over you. You know, maybe. You know, I, sometimes I sit someone in a chair and I pray over them. I'm standing and they're in the chair. You know, I think that's fine too. But, but whatever, you get the picture, I think, in your mind what James is describing here. Um, now, verse 15. Here, here's, our, here's our verse that is sometimes misunderstood. This is why I chose this, this particular passage as part of the series. It says, verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So what is this prayer of faith? What is the prayer of faith? Well, let me tell you, and some of you have heard me say this before, but I've seen this abused. I've seen people say, God wants to heal you of every sickness. And so we're going to pray over you right now. So they lay hands and they pray. And then it's like, "Are, are you healed? And if they say, well, no, I'm not, I'm not. Well, then it's like, what's wrong with your faith? What's wrong with you? If you had enough faith, 
God would heal you. I've heard this. I've heard friends that have said it. I had a pastor praying over me once that stopped praying mid-prayer. It was after work, by the way. I was, I was working in a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, and I left work. He was a believer and a part-time pastor, and he wanted to pray over me when he heard I was going into ministry. And he just stopped mid-prayer and said, you don't believe this, what I'm praying. And it was like, well, it's probably maybe the first time I heard someone speak in tongues, which is okay. That's fine. You know, I'm in a different place now than I was back then where I was like, I don't know what this is. But he just stopped praying. You know, you don't have faith in this, he said. So it's like, I've heard this. I've heard other people say this. And it's like the faith thing. If you don't have enough faith, then nothing's going to happen. Now, don't get me wrong. James 1 says God will give wisdom. But if you doubt, he's not giving you anything. You know, he's not giving you the wisdom if you doubt. So doubt is an issue. And God won't give if we don't have faith. But I love that Jesus says, faith of a mustard seed. I don't have to conjure this up. Let me put it this way. Even even if I just take James 5 at face value here. just, Just take James 5. Just what we've read so far. I've got a good comeback for the person that says, you didn't have enough faith. That's why you're not well. God wanted to heal you, but he didn't because you didn't have enough faith. I got the perfect comeback. It's right out of James 5. Very biblical. Here it is. Pastor or whatever Christian, Christian leader that's telling me this. I'm not healed because of the deficiency of my faith. James 5 says it's a deficiency of your faith. Did you catch that? It's the prayer of the elders. Who prays the prayer of faith? The elders do. So if we're going to subscribe to that theology, which I hope none of you do, but if you do subscribe to this, God wants to heal you, he's going to heal you based on the amount of faith you have, it's the elders' faith. They're the ones praying the prayer of faith. So you can say to the elders, elder, no, you're deficient, it's not me. If you would have more faith, I would be healed. That's James 5. If you're going to take it down that road, which I hope none of you do. The elders are praying the prayer of faith for the sick person. Now, if I'm going to pray the prayer of faith, what is my faith in? I mean, faith means I'm putting my faith in something. And here's my problem with the name it and claim it. God wants to heal everybody in this life. Here's my issue. This is my issue. I think that theology puts faith, puts our faith in our faith. You know what I mean? I'm putting my faith in my faith. If I have enough faith, I'm going to faith myself into healing. You know? I'm putting my faith in my faith. But if I'm going to really pray the prayer of faith, like James is saying here, don't I want to put my faith in God's will and in God's promises? That's number three. And I think James would say, you want to pray the prayer of faith? Read the rest of my letter and see what I have to say about that. Because remember what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, this is James chapter 1, let him pray. And God promises to give wisdom unless you doubt. It's a promise of God that he will give you wisdom if you ask for it. So do I pray according to the promises of God? God, you promise wisdom. I'm asking for it. I've got a big decision to make and I need your wisdom. And God says, I'm going to give that to you because I said I would. And I see you have faith. Here's your wisdom. Now, it's also according to God's will. Because we've all prayed for people that have not been made well. Right? 
And hopefully we prayed for people that have been made well. What about God's will? Uh, remember James says, listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this city or that city. We're going to carry on business there, live a year, make some money. And James says, you don't know. Your life is but a vapor, a mist. Instead, you ought to say, and I'm going to also interpret that as you should also pray, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. That's James. How do we talk about the future? If it's the Lord's will, we'll go to this city, we'll make some money. If it's God's will, everything is open to what he wants. And so when we pray the prayer of faith, we can pray according to the will of God. And we say, God, if this is not your will, then I accept it. I accept it. But, but you're going to have to help me in different ways, which he has promised to do. He's promised to do that. He's promised to give grace in your weakness. He hasn't promised to take away every thorn in the flesh. At least he didn't for Paul. So, I want to pray the prayer of faith. I want to pray being positive that God's going to help according to his promises and according to his will. I want confidence when I come before him. And I hope you do too. Because we should all be praying the prayer of faith. And I hope our elders and leaders and deacons and deaconesses also hear this because you may be called on to pray the prayer of faith. Are you ready to pray that? Being positive that God is going to step in and work. Okay. Oh, the other thing, one more thing I want to say about this is, um, this always gets me. When Jesus healed people, do you know what one of the most common things he would say to them would be after he healed them? He would say, I have made you well. No, he didn't. He would say, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. I Sometimes I feel like I've given up so much ground because there's this bad theology that, said, that says everyone's going to be healed in this life. Everyone's going to be healed if you have enough faith. Eventually, everyone will be healed, by the way. All Christians will be healed. All believers will be healed, definitely by the time we get to heaven. And sometimes heaven breaks into our now, our present, and God does heal us in the now. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, give me some of that heaven, you know. That's not a bad prayer. That's a Jesus prayer, you know. And so sometimes sometimes with this, I feel like, oh, I've given up so much ground because I think so much on the bad theology of it, like guilting people. and You don't have enough faith and God didn't do it for you because it's all your fault. But then I remember Jesus' words, and he liked to build people up for their faith. Your faith has made you well. I mean, I remember talking to somebody that was very anti-name-it-and-claim-it, you know, and he was, he was criticizing a song on the radio that, that praised people's faith. You know, it's a song on the radio. And I thought, Jesus praised people's faith. It's okay. It's okay to say part of this is about faith. Because if you doubt, you get nothing. You get nothing. All right. Um, we're on the tail end here, and maybe we saved the best for last. I love, I love, love, love this. Uh, this is the last part of verse 16. It says, 
The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the earth gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah. So James says, I want to encourage these people to pray. And I want to give them an example of a prayer guy that's just like everybody else. I'm going with Elijah. Well, thank you, James. That's like saying, uh, have a conversation with Einstein and see if you can keep up. Play basketball with LeBron James and see how it goes. LeBron James is a man just like us. He can just dunk it like nobody's business. You know, he can play like nobody's business. Einstein's a guy just like us, except a lot smarter, you know. I mean, it's like, thank you, Elijah. Thank you so much, James. Why are you doing this to me, you know? Elijah. And it's like, but maybe I think that's the, maybe that's the point because it's like Elijah, we look at him and he's like, spiritual giant Elijah, taken to heaven in a, in a fiery chariot. Elijah, Elijah on Mount Carmel says, bring me the prophets of Baal and Asherah and we're going to take them on. We're going to do some business today on the top of the mountain. And like a little under a thousand prophets show up to take on Elijah and God. And, and Elijah says, call down the fire if you can. And you got almost a thousand people praying and cutting themselves and dancing and calling out to Baal and the pagan gods and nothing happens. And then Elijah says, let's drench the altar with water. And then Elijah prays and the fire comes down and the whole thing gets burned up. And, and, and then there's that, that difficult ending, right, with, with Elijah. Maybe, you know, like he kills all the prophets. That, that's tough. I, I know that's a hard part of the passage, but... I mean, it's kind of like Elijah's like, I heard one guy say, it's like a deal's a deal, you know? And, uh, and, and that's how it all went down, you know? It's, it's like it's over. But, but, but here's, but, but listen to me now, listen to me. Here's, if you ever read the end of that passage, there's a lot of amazing things in that passage, like when, when Elijah mocks their gods for maybe being in the bathroom. Like, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. But, but it's 1 Kings 18, if you ever want to look at it, but it's what the people say when the fire comes down. What do the people say when the fire comes down? They don't say, oh, mighty Elijah, you have called down the fire. They say, the Lord, the Lord is God. It's the Lord. And so, if I ever pray for you, and you were ministered to, maybe you were even healed, May you say, the Lord, the Lord is God. Because he, he did it. And, and, and if you liked this sermon and it ministered to you, I pray that you can walk out and open up your Bible and say, it's the Lord. The Lord said this. The Lord. I pray that our worship service has never become about a person, a musician, a personality, a whatever. Whatever it is that you prioritize, that it's the Lord. Elijah was a guy just like us. He's just a man. He got depressed after that incident. He asked the Lord to take his own life. Not that I'm saying he was contemplating suicide, but he was like, God, I can go now. I'm done. You ever been there? He's like us. Fallible. Weak. But when he prayed, 
And what he prayed was promised in the Old Testament, maybe threatened is a better word. God was going to bring drought when the people turned away from him. Ahab and Jezebel were the, the king and the queen. And God made the drought last for three and a half years. And all Elijah had to do was pray. Bring on the drought. And when it was time for the drought to end, he just prayed and it just ended and the rain came. And James' point is, he's just like any of you. Don't hold him up here. In fact, if you want to think about it for a second, remember when Jesus said, nobody has arisen that's greater than John the Baptist? Remember when he said that? But the least in the kingdom is greater than John? That's you. Like the greatest prophet of all time, John the Baptist, and you're greater. And you say, how can I be greater? Well, you know about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you will do even greater things. Right? Isn't that what Jesus promised? So you read about Elijah, three and a half year drought. God wants to do something spectacular through you. All you got to do is pray it according to his will and according to his promises, and it will be done. So let me end it like this. The greatest thing the Lord could do for you today is not make a drought for three and a half years. Please know. The greatest thing he could do for you today is save you. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ's forgiveness, he died for you to pay for all the mistakes you've made, all of your sins. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes now? If you want to pray and receive him and ask the worship team to come up at this time, if you would like to pray and receive Christ as your Savior, would you pray something like this? Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I am in need of a Savior. I'm sorry for my sins. But even as this prayer of faith has been mentioned today, it says it has the ability to save. It will save. So I want to pray the prayer of faith today so that I will be saved from my sin and know that I have a relationship with you and that one day I get to be with you in eternity, in heaven. So please forgive me and please save me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.